Money matters to God, but why? Actually, the Bible has over 2,000 verses on money and its place in our lives. Jesus talked about money and stewardship more than heaven, hell, or prayer. It's also one of the areas where we have the most questions. Join us as we jump into what God has to say in this series called Money Matters. All right, hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Do me a favor, help me welcome all of our first-time guests. So glad to have you guys with us, whether you are in the room or online. Uh, so hey, as you just heard, Easter is coming, and, and I want to just highlight once again, uh, if you're in this service right now, either in this room or online, this will not be the time for you to come two weeks from today. Make sure you know that. This service doesn't exist at 1045, unless, of course, you want to miss the first 15 minutes of singing. So uh, make sure you come at 1030, or even better, uh, come at noon and make room for uh, all of the folks that uh, will be coming at 1030, like some of you and your friends, and then, then, then there you go. Speaking of friends that you're going to bring for Easter, there are cards on your seat. Take one. Invite somebody, because you already know where to go. You'll be here, right? Just kidding. Actually, seriously, uh, pray. Ask God to give you one friend to, to be praying for over the next week, and uh, then in the following week, take one of these cards, invite them to join you, especially somebody who maybe uh, doesn't know Jesus personally or somebody who is not connected to a, a church family. And so uh, it's a great time to invite them because uh, Easter, a lot of people are more likely to accept your invitation that they might not do some other time. And uh, there you go. Oh, one more thing about Easter. You guys know Easter typically falls during a four or five day weekend for a lot of people at work. Uh, and uh, this year, as many times, uh, Easter also happens to be during our spring break for our school system. And so for those of you that will be traveling to see family or Mickey at Disney or whatever else you're doing, want you to know that we still will be having our Thursday night service, 645 here Thursday. So right before you head off for all the fun, come and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with us and uh, it'll be a great time for you. So uh, with that said, today we are finishing a series we've been doing now for two weeks. Today is part three and the last part's a series we've been doing about one of our biggest problems and biggest obsessions here on earth, money. Woo, everybody's excited for that one, aren't you? Look, the reason that we talk about money in church is because there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money and its place in our lives. Jesus actually talked about money and how we're supposed to handle it more than he did heaven, hell, or prayer. And if you say, well, why would he do that? It's because Jesus also warned us that it's the desire for money and the stuff that it can get that will actually cause some of us to fall away from our faith. And so with that being said, it appears that money matters to God, and if it matters to God, it should matter to us. That's why we're doing a series called Money Matters. Uh, two things as we are doing this series. One is at the beginning of the series, and all along we've been trying to give out to you our 2020 annual report. If you're online, you can click the link in the chat or go to our website. Uh, for those of you that have not picked up one, you can simply get one in the lobby on your way out today. And the second thing is, starting this week, in response to our finance series, we have two new Financial Peace University life groups, and you can find out more information or how to get involved in one of those by texting FPU to the number on the screen, FPU for Financial Peace University. We will have one that is in person and one that is online, and uh, that's not a coincidence. We are doing this specifically because some of us need to take that next step after a finance series. Uh, I love that when we do a finance series, we talk about honoring God, and, and so many people say, all right, I'm gonna do this. I am going to honor God with my finances because when I give God the first tenth, he promises to bless me until there's no more need. But then 
some people experience still a lot of need, and it doesn't feel like they're very blessed. And I hate watching that happen. And so I wanna share with you a little bit, if I could just take a moment about why we do Financial Peace University. So you see, some of us, after we honor God with the first tenth, we're not always wise with the other 90%. Matter of fact, my wife and I have a story of when we first got married and we learned to honor God with the tenth. And we're not even gonna use the word unwise. We were just downright stupid. And uh, if any of you have ever been stupid with the way you spent the rest of your money, and uh, matter of fact, we, we were stupid because we spent more than 90% because we had friends called Visa and American Express. You, you can get away with spending a little bit extra. And so when you do that, when you're stupid with the way you handle it and then you, you borrow more, it, it's really hard to ask God to outbless my stupid. Y'all like that? I like that phrase when I wrote it. Because that's what we do. We think, well, as long as I'm honoring God, the rest of it doesn't matter. And we're not taking time to teach every uh, biblical principle on finances. That's what Financial Peace University is for. So first of all, if you'd like to sleep better at night, Financial Peace University, and uh, if you'd like to get rid of the stupid so God doesn't have to outbless your stupid, I wanna encourage you to take FPU. There you go. Is that good? I got one. Amen from somebody who has to, because you're on the front row. There you go. <laughs> well, we're uh, finishing our series that, as we said, we started with the topic honor. Kind of already explained that. We honor God as our provider, as the one who makes it possible for us to go and to earn, gives us our health, uh, our, our capacity, and everything. And so we honor him with the first 10%. And then in the, the second part, we talked about margin. And it's because we will have expenses for today, we'll have expenses for tomorrow, we save for, but then what about the stuff we can't predict, the stuff that we don't know is coming, like a pandemic or a great opportunity? Margin is is having room. And especially one of the things you can do if you have room leads to our third topic today, and that is you can be generous. So as we, as we start today, and, and I, I wanna start with a question if I could. Is anybody paying attention to the stock market? Any, anybody? Stock market aware people? Anybody heard of Bitcoin? Any Bitcoin aware people in the room? Okay, did you know that if you had invested in Bitcoin just before Christmas, that whatever you invested just before Christmas, you would have tripled in the last 90 days? Can you, can you just imagine that? Like whatever amount you can see yourself putting in three times as much in three months. But who, who could have predicted that, right? I mean, maybe one financial weird guy out there, but more importantly, who could have guaranteed that? Because we all wish we could go back in time, and you can't, right? How about Tesla? We got any Tesla fans in the room? Oh, no. Well, then you can just ignore this hot tip. But if you had invested $100,000 in Tesla one year ago, you would now have 1.26 million dollars, 12.6 times in one year, but I mean, we would all love to do that as well, right? You know, again, who can predict? It's like Elon Musk is a little unpredictable. I'm not sure I want to give $100,000, not know where that's going with him, but 12.6 times, who could guarantee? So here's the real question for you. How many of you would like an investment tip that is guaranteed? Anybody in here, if I could guarantee an investment tip? Yeah, there you go. I've got one for you. Proverbs, here you go. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Lends, not gives, but lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his 
deed. Let's just take a moment and make sure we understand the concept of poor. What the Bible's talking about is somebody who has need, somebody who has less than, somebody who is struggling to, to have either food or clothing or something. There, there's a need that's legitimate and they can't take care of it on their own. And, and God makes a promise. It's an investment guarantee that whatever you give to the poor, you're actually lending to him. And, and he's always going to repay. And before we're done today, what I wanna show you is the Bible says he's actually going to repay that with increase. That is a pretty good guaranteed investment tip, don't you think? that whatever you do for the poor, God is going to return. It's the reason that you've heard somebody say you can't outgive God. You ever heard that phrase before? Well, again, before we're done today, you're gonna see why people say that because it's what scripture is gonna show us. And matter of fact, Jesus, as he's talking about what it will be like at the end of time for you and me, it's in Matthew chapter 24. He says, look, some of you, when you, you saw me hungry, you, you fed me. And some of you, when you saw me naked, you clothed me. And he said, but some of your responses will be, but wait a minute, when did we see you hungry? And when did we see you naked and give you clothes? And you know what his answer was? Whatever you did to the least of them, to the poor, to the struggling, I'm crediting it as though you did it for me. See, this is the way that God sees when we take care of the needs of other people. Our main passage today, if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. It's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, it's actually in the middle of two chapters of talking about something that Paul is, is sharing with the Corinthian church. If you'll allow me, I'm not going to read two full chapters to you this morning, but I'm going to take a main section out of, of chapter 9, and it's kind of where he's kind of wrapping up. And so here's what he says in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, obviously, we, we kind of understand the concept here. It, it sounds like he could be giving advice to farmers, but he's not because he's gonna continue. He's already been talking about giving. He's gonna continue to talk about giving. So in, in his context here for this one sentence, sowing is giving and reaping is receiving. But just for the fun of it, let's give a farmer illustration for a moment. You know, I, I grew up uh, in the South where we actually planted big gardens because my dad grew up on a farm. So this was kind of a mini farm. It was a couple acre garden. And, and I remember that we would actually have to go out and, and plant seeds, like an actual seed. And, and you would hope that that individual seed turned into a plant. And uh, in our case, sometimes it was, was green bean plants or cantaloupe plant or whatever, different things. But here's the thing. If you, if you plant three seeds in the ground, you cannot get 100 plants. It doesn't work that way. If you plant three seeds, that's pretty sparingly. At best, you can reap sparingly, which is three green bean plants. One of them may not even do well. You may only get two plants from these three seeds. If you want 100 plants, you have to do 100 seeds. It's called a law of God's kingdom that we can only receive as we sow. As we sow is what we, we get back. It's a spiritual law that works in the kingdom. Matter of fact, one of my... Uh, works in the natural. One of my favorite Bible verses, we're not even gonna put it on the screen because I'm, I'm just adding this as we go. It's Galatians. And it says, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. Whatever you sow is what you'll reap. It's a, it's a principle to say, wait a minute, he is your provider. He's your creator. You can't be stingy and then think he's going to bless beyond that for your stinginess. You're mocking the one who says, if you're generous to the poor, then you're lending to me. If you want to receive, then you need to sow at that same level. 
when I lived in Romania, it was right after college, and this is before I'd ever learned to do any uh, house stuff. So I, I didn't know how to do much, like other than change a light bulb at the time. And uh, we, we had a, a light, speaking of light bulbs, we had a single light bulb hanging from a wire in our living room. That, that was the entire light. If you've ever seen one of those, like, European movies, and they have just a single light bulb. That, that, that's normal. That's the way that is. And, and if you want something else, you have to do something about it. So my roommate and I, we decided we would put up like a ceiling fan with a light in our living room because we also don't have air conditioning there. And, and so we went and we got this fan, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this at the time. And uh, so my roommate decides he'll do it. So he, he gets a table, and he gets up on top of the table, the epitome of safety, right? So starting off well. And uh, as he gets up there, he, he starts taking down the light bulb. And I'm going, whoa, wait a minute, dude. Like, you didn't turn off the breaker. And I don't know a lot about electricity, but I know they work on 220, and we, we can die from 110. So if you can die from 110, you can, like, double die from 120, like, or, or, like, twice as fast or twice as bad or something. So I'm I'm thinking, this is not a good, good idea that you are just dismantling this light bulb thing and then trying to put up the fan. And he makes this joke, which is, as long as I don't touch these two wires at the same time, it'll be fine. And then he's, since I didn't laugh at his joke, he says, seriously, man, the switch is off. If the switch is off, there's no electricity here. Like, nothing comes through if you've got the switch off. You can't get anything here. It's a law of electricity, just like the law of the kingdom. You see, we've got the switch off because we're greedy and stingy. And so there, you're not going to get anything out of the fan because you're not sowing anything into it. Y'all see how that works? And so this is why Paul says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Look, this is a very simple concept. Two things he says don't do. First of all, don't do it reluctantly. Number two, don't under compulsion. Let me explain reluctant. When God says give, do quickly. Don't Think about it, pause, refuse. You know that kind of thing when you're like in line at Starbucks and you just have this idea you should buy the coffee for the car behind you, you know, but you don't because you're, you're debating with God. Like, is this really God? Is God the one really telling me to do this? Well, let me ask you a question. How often are you in a drive-through and you feel compelled by God to, to give to the, right? Okay, very rarely, probably. Or how about this? You're in a restaurant and you feel like you should go and buy food for the person sitting over there. And you're like, ah, I'm not really sure that's God. I don't know. God, you want me to pay for their meat? God, did you notice they've got filet mignon? Like, I didn't even get filet mignon. I had to choose the chicken. And now you want me to pay not only for my chicken, but somebody else's filet mignon. You say, Seriously? And so we kind of do this little dance with God. God said, look, not reluctantly. When God says, do it, do it, you know? When you find yourself in the grocery store and just one person catches your eye and you feel like you're supposed to buy their groceries, don't be reluctant. Why did that one person catch your eye, right? And then it also says, not under compulsion. Under compulsion has two ways that it comes. One is internal. It's our pride. We, we, we think maybe this is what God told us to do, but then we see somebody else given a certain amount, and we know somebody's going to either see our check or whatever. If you've ever been to like a silent auction or something or whatever, you, you, you feel this pride compulsion. I got to give more. I got to offer. I got to do whatever because I don't want people to think such and such about me. You're probably not getting a lot of reward for the pride part, just for the record. But the main compulsion that Paul is talking about here is, is from other humans. And sadly, the church is known for being the place that compels people through manipulation and through guilt. And some of you have been a part of something. Matter of fact, because some of you have told me the stories, and I've never seen it, and thank God for that. But if you have, you know, one of those situations where in the church they will pass the offering plate, and then a few 
minutes later, they pass it again and tell you, you need to try again. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I've heard of, of a church passing it four times and saying, dig a little deeper, and some of you are nodding your head. I just wanna apologize on behalf of anybody who ever claimed to represent God that was then violating this very scripture. Look, you, you should do what God's put in your heart, either for that person at the grocery store or whatever. Don't be compelled. And so he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So it's real simple. God's gonna give you the grace to be able to give to do a good work for someone and being generous. And, and what was the underlying thing there? It's because you have all sufficiency in everything and always at all times, right? Now, some of you have a footnote in your Bible right there, and the reason I underlined having all sufficiency is because the, under, the footnote in some of your Bibles is all contentment. Do you remember part two? Contentment is the secret. Because when we're good right here, when we say, God, you've been good to me, I'm blessed and I have enough, then it's a lot easier for us to do the good work of buying that family's dinner when God says to, because we look and go, thank you, God, that I have enough to do what you just called me to do. Now, because of what you've given me, now because my life is sufficient, I can have the grace to give. Now, this next part is, is important because he turns from teaching us the idea to explaining why God blesses us in the first place. The why behind the what, don't miss. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Why, why is he gonna do that, Paul? So that you will be enriched in every way to put it in the bank and keep it. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Look, here's the truth. If you're one of God's children, he takes care of you. He blesses you. He takes care of all of us. I mean, just take a minute and think about your life. I, I doubt that any of us spent last night without a place to live. Most of us came here in a car. The parking lot is very full. Most of us had breakfast or at least your favorite coffee. You know, I mean, it's, it's just, we're, we're blessed. And we have so much because God has provided for us. The problem, and we talked about this in the series of how God does provide for us. One of his names is Jehovah Jireh. I'm the Lord, your provider. The problem is that many of us, we stop right there. We think the whole reason that God blesses us is simply so that we can have. And he does take care of his children. It's the theme throughout scripture. God's children have what they need and many times what they want. But God blesses us also so that the blessings cannot just flow to us, but through us to the world around us. Because what happens is all the people who do not worship God, who do not follow Jesus, what God wants is for them to look and to see two things. First of all, that the people of God are blessed. And second of all, it's the people of God who bless the world. That's what God wants the world to see when they look at us. And when we follow God's command to be generous and allow to flow through us. Here's what happens. It says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce what? Thanksgiving to God. We've all seen it happen. Look, even when people don't go to church regularly, when they wouldn't even say that they are a follower of Jesus, if you ever watch them like get a surprise gift or win something big, their first thing is, go, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, I mean, it's, it's inherent in us for some reason to say, wow, God, you did that. Even if somebody else just gave you that lottery ticket, here's the lottery ticket, go claim it. They go, oh, thank you, Lord. You know, that kind of thing, because we, we know that God 
is directing that, even if it comes through a person. It says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, that's good, taking care of the poor, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings again to God. They will glorify God because of the generosity of your contribution for them. In other words, they may know you did it, but they're giving all thanks to him. Now, here's the deal. What is our purpose? If you've ever learned the catechism, we talked about this a few months back in another series, but the first question always says, what is our chief end? What What is the purpose mankind has? The chief end of man is to glorify God. God declares, I will be glorified upon the earth. And so here's what happens. When God gives to you to take care of you and to bless those around you, and then you do bless those around you who are in need, and and they say, thank you, God, for answering that prayer. God gets glorified. And he says, that's exactly how that cycle is supposed to work, from heaven to earth, back to heaven. And he says, wait a minute. So here's the cool thing. If I do that for Brian, comes from heaven down to earth, blesses somebody else, makes my people famous, makes my name famous, I get glory, I'm gonna do that again. And he goes right back down to Brian. He says, matter of fact, I'm gonna give Brian a little more this time because I got glorified. So Brian's like, I I don't need more than I got left. I'm gonna bless two people this time. Two people glorify God back to heaven. God, we're we're gonna keep this thing going and we're gonna keep doing it with increase. Remember a minute ago, we we read that he's gonna multiply your seed and he's going to increase for your righteousness, your harvest for righteousness. That's what this is about. God getting the glory, God blessing his people so that they can bless the people on the earth so that those people give God glory so everybody's needs are met and God gets all the glory. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's why God blesses us. Now, that's the theology of being generous. And I've heard a few amens and so forth. I don't think that there's probably many people that, or if anybody, that would disagree and say, wait a minute, I don't think that's right. I think you just read all that scripture wrong. God does not bless us and God does not want us to be generous to people around us. I don't think anybody's gonna do that. We've got the theology. Sometimes it doesn't go from here to our neighbor because we've got a little thing going on right here, a little problem. Have you ever found yourself like... You, you try to give somebody something and you didn't quite let go of it, <laughs> you're a little embarrassed. Oh, sorry, you know, I mean, because it was, it was kind of stuck right here. It, it, the, the theology of generous to the activity of generous, we have one problem. It's a perspective. So I want to ask you the question, what do you see? How do you see? How do you see your financial situation? How do you see your life? Do you see the people around you? You see, the Bible explains what our problem is. Proverbs 22 says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. And I wanted to read that version. There's a few versions that translate it that way, because some versions, that they make the point and they translate it already for you in a sense. And so some of your English Bibles say it this way. They say the generous will be blessed. They've just gone ahead and explained what a bountiful eye person is. They become generous. I wanted to read this version because I want you to know the why behind generous. Bountiful eye. Literally means you have a good eye for doing good and seeing good as opposed to an evil eye for seeing evil and doing evil. That's what its literal meaning is. But we, we know what bountiful means. It means when you look, you see abundance. 
You see that God has blessed you. You look and you see blessing. You look and you see good. You look and you see good that can be done and you have the ability to do it. It's a bountiful lie. Some of us struggle with a bountiful lie. We're gonna find out why. But if we back up a minute, I wanna show you something else that Paul said earlier. Remember, I told you it was two chapters and he made a statement earlier that's a really baffling statement for some people who apparently had a bountiful lie. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Did Paul mess up or did the translator mess up? I mean, something's not making sense there. How can you have extreme poverty that results in wealth of generosity? Well, he told you the abundance of joy. See, they have a bountiful life. Their perspective. Let me give you the context because this will make a lot more sense. Paul is writing this to a group of people known as the church in the city of Corinth. Corinth is modern day Greece and uh, he was encouraging them to do something they had already talked about doing and to partner with three other churches that were also in modern day Greece. We also have some letters written to them like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And they are coming together to take up a collection in generosity. Did you remember the phrase he mentioned? You'll meet the needs of the saints. Because this collection from all of these churches in modern day Greece is supposed to go to Jerusalem for the saints there. You see, Jerusalem is and was the center of the Jewish world, Israel. And the problem is, of course, Israel worshiped God, the God of the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, otherwise known as Yahweh. And then this guy named Jesus showed up. And some of these Jewish people decided to follow that guy, Jesus. The problem is Israel is not only a civil country, it's a theological country. Their God is their king as well. And so if, if you stop believing the, the God and you start following Jesus and, and they didn't understand how Jesus came from God, but that's okay. That, that, wait a minute, you can't do that. You're, you're a traitor to who we are, our faith and our nation. And since you're gonna be a traitor to us, we're cutting you off. And so people who were followers of Jesus in Jerusalem at the time, what ended up happening is they lost their jobs. They lost their ability to keep their homes. They couldn't buy food. If they were leasing land to farm, they were no longer allowed to lease, so they couldn't grow anything. If they had crops or something to, to sell or trade at the market, nobody would sell or trade with them. So they were starving to death. And so these new churches, the new followers of Jesus over in, again, what is now Greece, were also being persecuted. And they were also poor. But their perspective was very simple. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't eat today. But we ate two days ago. And the saints in Jerusalem 
Some of them hadn't eaten in so long, they're dying. I think I should be grateful for what God's done. I'm going to send some to them. That is how. They have an abundance of joy, a bountiful life. And even though they themselves are being persecuted and in some cases going hungry, they still came up with a wealth of generosity to bless someone else. You see, a bountiful eye looks at your life and says, thank you, God. Look at what I have. The devil loves when we look at our lives and say, oh, I wish I had more. I wish, I wish, I wish. I don't, I don't have. I need, I need, I want, I want. And it's okay to want some things and it's okay to enjoy life. But it needs to come from a bountiful eye that says, God, look at what you've done for me. Look at what I have to give. Look at what they, they need. What, what, what can I do for them? Look at, look at those folks. What, what can I do over there? Because you've given me enough. I think the problem with the bountiful lie is that we're waiting on a blessing to come. We see the need, but we think we need. And we're at a point in time where we say, if I'm blessed, then I'll give out of that. God, I'd love to do that for those people. God, I see, I'd love to do that. If you'll bless, if you will bless me. We ask a question sometimes, which came first, the chicken or the egg? You ever heard that? You ever ask that? Please don't, it is such a foolish question. I mean, we know the answer. The chicken came first, the Bible says so. God made the, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. He didn't make eggs and caviar. The Bible told us the answer. You know what else the Bible told us came first? The blessing. We said at a point in time, and we say, if God will bless me, we forget God already has blessed us. We've already been blessed. Take a minute and think about your life. We are among the richest people in all of history. And most of us here in America, the overwhelming majority of us are actually in the top 1% of everybody in the world. You have a household income above $32,000. You're the richest 1% in the world. Maybe not the richest 1% in Palm Springs or something, but that's where our perspective gets off. Well, I'm just an average. I'm just on the low end of the top 1% in the world. A bountiful eye says, God, you have been good to me. And I can be good. So this is what Paul says. Since you excel in everything, since you excel in your faith, in your speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. This point's pretty simple. I'm glad you've got great faith in God. I'm glad that you guys are learning to speak things that are kind and honorable to each other and your, your words are glorifying God. I'm, I'm glad that you're growing in your knowledge of him. I'm glad that you're sincere and I, I'm, I'm glad that you love each other. But man, make sure you're giving. Excel in the, he calls it the grace of giving. He had said, God's gonna give you the grace. He's gonna make all of this grace abound to you so that you can excel in every good work. He was talking about giving. We communicate the grace of God to the hurting. 
when we show up and do what God has called us to do. Just help the poor, to be generous. And the, the simple answer of what it looks like is different for every one of us. That's why I really haven't given many examples today as I've, I've talked, I haven't used many numbers because generosity is gonna be different for every single one of us. For some of you, you look around and realize that you only got two people in the house that can drive, but you got three or four cars. You could give a car. Someone else, we could simply give a gift card for Uber. We're in a different place. Some of us can buy a friend lunch. Some of us can buy an entire family groceries for a month. Your generosity is gonna look very different from everyone else around you. All you need to do is look at your life and say, God, what have you given me? And God, where's a good work? Bountiful eye sees what they have and the good that needs to be done. It's gonna be different for every one of us. And it may not always be exactly in the form of money. It can be in another type of resource. You know, we, we try to, to be generous as a church and to model generosity to others. We, we do everything we can to make it hard for people not to receive generosity. We, we've had a couple of, of churches we've been able to help during COVID. One of them, uh, they, uh, they had pews and uh, they couldn't social distance with their pews. Their, their higher office of their denomination said that you, you have to have chairs and you have to put those chairs six feet apart. People have to be able to walk all the way around. And, and so they had to take out their pews. They didn't know what to do with them. So some of you have been back in our warehouse and it looks like we have a chapel back. We don't have a chapel. We've just got all their pews. And they said, how much will it cost? We said, nothing. Because we've got a warehouse. And if there's space for your pews, why not? Why would we want to charge? We don't need to make money off of that. Got another friend of mine who's a, a, a pastor here in this city and their, their church is under construction right now and the space that they were using uh, before COVID to, to rent and do their recording and to worship together is uh, no longer an option because of COVID. And when he was telling me this, I said, well, you have a place now. So we give them this building one day a week. They come in, they do, it's their church one day a week. Some of you have driven by and thought, man, there's a whole lot of people. I didn't know, are they doing something without me? No, no, another church is doing something without you. And they said, wow, that's crazy. What's it gonna cost? And we said, you know why? Because we have a bountiful eye. I look and go, look at what God's given us. If there's ever a time that it's empty, you're welcome to it because it's a gift of God. You may have the same possibility. It, it may not come out of money. It may come out of something else that God has done. Something else that God has given you. When you look around and go, look what God's done for me. I can share that. I can give that. I can do that. It's gonna be different for every single one of us. So I'm gonna wrap up this series with a challenge. Maybe even as strong as a, a dare. Again, Financial Peace University, because I didn't go over every biblical principle on finances. But we talked about three really big ones. Honor God first. It says that if we don't honor him, that our finances are actually cursed. But if we do honor him, then we're blessed until there's no more need. Margin. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but if you're prepared for anything, you can seize an opportunity or you can manage a crisis. And then if you're generous, well, every time you're generous, it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. 
So I want, I want to challenge you to put these three things at work in your life for this year and see where you are at New Year's. I dare you to put God first, make room in the rest, and then start to give some as you see need and count yourself blessed and wait and see where you are. I, I dare somebody to try to come back on New Year's and say, man, my life didn't get better. God never showed up because it can't happen. God will show up. If you're generous to the poor, God's going to use you to bless this world because it makes him famous. If we have margin, we can do it. And if we're honoring him, that's where it all begins. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. You simply are good. We, we just have to take a moment and declare, God, we want every uh, demon to hear us say it, every angel to celebrate with us when we say you are good. You have blessed us. God, forgive us for the times that we've looked at our first world problems and complained as though you didn't bless us. God, let us be people who see the world bountifully. Let us be kind. Let us be generous. Let us represent you well and honor you in everything we do. If you're just saying a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. The truth is there has never been a greater display of generosity than when God sent his son to pay for our sins. He lived a perfect life and then died a horrific death. Again, the most generous act. But every one of us at some point in history has to make an exchange of the life we've been living for this free gift of salvation, the life that he has for us. If you've never done that, I wanna help you do it right now. Wherever you are, say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I want to live for you. I thank you that I'm loved. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Will you help me celebrate with those people, everybody? Amen.